steps in this. His title of his sermon is going to be the attributes attributes of God revealed in the Scripture. Mister Steve Andrews. <laughs> Thought I'd wait till I got the green light there. Well, greetings to the small group that's here today. I hope some of you were tuning in. I would <laughs> make the make the broader uh, audience uh, through the internet today. Uh, yeah. I'd like to share a little bit. Those of you who have been here with me, uh, you'll already know what that's all about. But we had decided uh, that we couldn't make it to, to Tanglewood this year, even though we would love to have been there and uh, have part of what uh, everyone uh, experienced down there. So we <laughs> decided that we would have it here, and it worked out very, very well. And, uh, except for the first day, which I kind of got off on the wrong foot, sat up the back there in the wrong way, and... Uh, had a little little trouble getting it all uh, organized, but by the second day, I had things beginning to, to work out. I had, I had planned to, to not speak, so I was praying that uh, we would be able to, to tune into Tanglewood. Well, we were having some technical difficulties here, and and so what we were what we finally ended up doing was taking the next day's service and, and, and playing it, and it worked out really, really well. And the day that um, Landon did his sermon, I had given a, uh, the seven aspects of prayer on that day uh, out to those that were here. And so the first day we had about 30, uh, the last day we had about 27, and in between we had a, a strong group of 12 to 15, depending on, I never counted, I figured God knew he was here, and, and, and so I didn't uh, bother in, in, in counting how many we have. But I was very thankful for all those that, that joined us here. And I was thankful for the messages that came from Tanglewood. To me, they were very, um, just what we needed, spiritual messages, strong messages, giving us a, um, a really good uh, foundation for <laughs> the long winter that we'll have to go through before we come back to the Passover and the, and the Days of Unleavened Bread. And no telling what we're, what we're going to face in the time that we have between now and, and that. So uh, strong messages, uh, rejoicing in the Lord, all of those things are important. And what I was, the reason why I'm bringing this one today is I wanted to, to continue to strong, uh, strengthen our thinking about uh, God and his position, his power, his, his, um, his holiness, uh, who he is, and the different things that the scripture uh, talks about. And it's interesting, uh, I put seven attributes, which is what I passed out, and I have seven today. But I called it differently today, attributes of God revealed in scripture, because that's exactly what it is. And by the way, this is not anywhere near the attributes that we find, and of course, uh, we can look in, in even deeper, and we can be strengthened by the the power and glory of God through the Scriptures. The first one that I have is God is not a man. Uh, for those of you who remember, I, I gave this message several years ago called "God Is," and it's essentially the same things, but it's a little bit different. I've picked up some different Scriptures, uh, and hopefully, um, it will encourage you and strengthen you to, to continue to, to search out God's greatness, God's power, God's glory, and, and to set the stage in our mind to understand that God is not a man. In Numbers, the 23rd chapter, verse 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken, and shall he not make it good? And so we see right there that this, the groundwork is laid for who God is. He is not a man 
Um, he doesn't lie. Uh, you can depend on his covenants, and when he says something, uh, he means it. And so those are powerful words. In Isaiah, the 55th chapter, in Isaiah, the 55th chapter, we find these words, beginning in verse 6, and get there. Seek you the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. He says this about himself. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. And I'm thankful of that. I'm very thankful of that. Because he's higher than we are. He's higher above us. He's an eternal God. And those thoughts, understanding that, that his thoughts and his ways and his directions and everything that he's doing is above the human plane. He has concern for us and things like that, but his thoughts and things. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven returns not there, but the waters, waters of the earth and makes it bring forth the bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing wherein too I sent it. And so we see the power of God. We see also that when he speaks, and, and by the way, there is power in God's word. And when it does go out, it will have a, an energy that will affect people. And so we see that. And, it does, and, and we know that God is calling and bringing in many different ones into, the, into this way. I want to go now to point number two. This is a point we all understand, but it's a point that um, is kind of hard to grasp. God is holy. God is holy. In Isaiah, the fifth chapter, in verse six, uh, well, let me just stay right there, Isaiah 5, the places where we've, we see this and, and really grasping the fact that he is sanctified holy above all things um, and we would come into his presence uh, would be just like Ezekiel and all the rest of them. We would fall on our face because of his holiness. And I think in, in a way, if we understand that holiness, we also should uh, grasp the idea that we should pray and have that same uh, feeling in our own prayers. In Isaiah 5 and verse 16, it says, But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. So, the Lord of hosts, um, and by the way, that's one of his names, uh, Jehovah uh, Tisboth, shall be exalted in judgment, and God that is holy shall be sanctified, uh, that's holy also, set apart in righteousness. In the Psalms, we find Psalm 99, also talking about God's holiness. Psalm 99 and, and verse, verse 5. Sing to the Lord with a harp, with the harp, with the voice of the psalm. Whoops, that's not the right. Verse 5. Exalt you, the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. The psalmist says, Exalt you, the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. And so, in every way, we find 
that we need to, to, to understand how that works in our life. How, is, how can we relate to God who is holy? In the book of Exodus, Moses finds out what it's like to come before God and before a holy place. In Exodus third chapter, in a couple of places here, just a couple of verses. Um, he saw this burning bush, and in verse three says, I'll, I'll now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am, or here am I. And he said, draw not near here. Put off your shoes from your feet, for the place whereon you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. That spot, that place, all of a sudden became holy because God's presence was there. It's in our modern thinking, as we understand, as Matt and, and several brought out during the feast, is indwelling in us, sometimes is, if we think about it, and we're human, sinful, sometimes not very um, cognizant of, of, of God's indwelling and abiding with us, I think it's, it, it, would, it would do us good to think more deeply about that holiness that's there. And, and like, I have to leave it kind of in the air for each and every one of us to determine how we can actually um, receive God and receive that holiness. In Leviticus, the 11th chapter, and it's an interesting chapter, and it's an interesting thought about what God considers clean and unclean. In this chapter, he talks about different animals, different things, and he talks about what's clean and what's unclean. He says in verse 44, after he's talked about all of this, because in my Bible, all this is in red. So this is, this is instruction from him. Every word that you see in this Leviticus 11 uh, except for the very first verse where it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses, to Aaron, saying to them, the rest of it is all in red. So all of it is what God is saying. And I'm going to come all the way to 44. You can read Leviticus 11 if you would like. He says, for I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and you shall be holy. For I am holy, neither shall you defile yourself with any manner of a creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. For I am the Lord that brings you out, up out of the land of Egypt to, um, to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the beasts and the fowls and every living creature that moves on the waters and every creature that creeps upon the earth to make a difference between the unclean and the clean and between the beast that may be eaten and the beast that may be not eaten. It is profoundly interesting that, that God's presence in uh, the camp of Israel, you know, the tabernacle was there, Shechaniah glory was there. He says, for you, as my people, to be holy, you have to have a certain um, dietary um, regime. And so he lays it out as to what he wants in the camp of Israel. These are the things that you can eat. These are the things you shouldn't eat. This is what you should do. And this is what I say is holy. And we know, and most of us that grew up, grew up in this world understand that people can eat things that are not um, uh, considered in, this, in these scriptures and, and live for a long time. So what I've always thought is that when God comes to dwell in us, which is what, is what we're talking about, when he comes to dwell in us, now he wants a holy place. He wants us to be holy. 
He wants us to live holy to the best of our ability. He wants us to, to, to read his words, understand what holiness means to the, to the best of our ability, and to live in that holiness as we can. And one of those ways that we can do it is, is through our dietary uh, considerations. Leviticus 11. Go to 1 Peter, the, third, uh, the first chapter. 1 Peter 1. And it's very interesting that Peter actually reaches back into Leviticus to talk about this. I'll find 1 Peter in here somewhere. And uses that terminology. Let's see where I want to pick it up. 1 Peter, let's, let's pick it up in verse 13. He says, Wherefore gird up your loins, uh, loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which is called you is holy, so be you holy in all manner of behavior, all manner of conduct. So when we search the scriptures, those are the things that we, we need to, to inculcate in our lives. In all manner of conduct, all manner of behavior. He which has called you is holy, so be you holy in all manner of conduct. Because it is written, be you holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without respect to persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with the corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain, um, it says conversation in the uh, King James, but it's your vain conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. And you can go on and read that. But the point being that if he is referring to that particular scripture, it must mean that we need to reference and find out why we need to be holy in that particular way. In 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, I just wanted to reference this one, one point here. And I don't think I gave it to, to, um, to Brian. In 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, in verse 17, he says, um, he says in verse 16, he says, Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Let me read that again. And it was read at the feast um, more than once. Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defile the temple of God, he, um, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And so, where does that put us? We need to, when it comes to trying to understand the holiness of God, whatever it is that we're doing that is not in that particular um, way of our life, we need to change it. And I'm, I leave a lot of this up to, to, to being able to search and read and think and ask God to help me to understand what it means to be the, the temple of God, to have you indwelling in me. What do I need to do in my life to be that? How can I be that holy? You know, you dwelt in, in Israel. You dwelt in the congregation of Israel. And you told them certain things. When, when they didn't do it, um, you either punished them or eventually you chased them out. Of, uh, and they, they died in the wilderness, that first group. And all along, all the miracles you did, he did, they never quite understood the power and the holiness of God. So it behooves us who have that indwelling spirit 
to understand and to learn about that holiness and, and to give ourselves over to what God wants us to, to do in our life. Number three, God is a spirit. Uh, we, we're very familiar with this one. But I have two, the two examples in here that are, that are so profound in the book of John. I really like these, and they, they, they open the door to helping us, helping us to, to um, visualize a, a being that, that, that you can't see. This is about, in, in chapter 3, this is about Nicodemus and, and Jesus. And uh, Nicodemus, in verse 4, says to him, how, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into a mother's womb and be born? Jesus' answer said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So we know later on that the Peter says, Baptism, repentance, um, you, know, you, you baptize in the water, and then you receive God's Holy Spirit. So that's what Jesus is telling him. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And I underline that. Because that's an important uh, point to understand. As long as we're in the flesh, we're fleshly. Um, we have fleshly lust. We have all of those things. And we won't know spirit until that day that uh, we are resurrected into his kingdom. He says, Marvel not that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it lists, and you hear the sound thereof, but cannot tell from where it comes and to where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So uh, we know from Scripture that they can, uh, God, the angels, can manifest themselves as human beings and walk on the earth, which I'm assuming in someday when we're spirit, we can do the same. But if we want to walk on the earth and nobody sees us, we can do that because we be spirit beings, and that's what Jesus just is telling us. And then, of course, he, he, he asked Nicodemus, Nicodemus, how can these things be? And then he says, you are a master of Israel and know not these things? It's like, you should understand this. Uh, and I, I guess Nicodemus uh, didn't understand it very well. In, in chapter 4 and verse 20, we'll skip over here. This is the second one. Our fathers, and this is at the well with the uh, Samaritan woman. And he's asking for a drink and he's, uh, of water. And, and he says, you, you should, whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well springing up of everlasting life, as he tells the woman. And then he proceeds to tell her that, uh, all about herself. The woman says to him, in verse 19, I'm going to skip down to that, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither worship in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem. Worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for the salvation of the Jews. But the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. And then this is plain words from Jesus. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Here's another thing that we need to learn about and try to understand how we can worship God in spirit and now, we know the truth. That's in the Bible. We, we can come to, to more and more truth as we get older and as we study, and we, we can come to more truth. But how do we come to a deeper understanding of how to worship God in that spirit that he wants us to be in, the kind of attitude that we come to him with? I think Landon um, really opened my mind about the, the glory and honor and power and and all of that in God from just those few first few verses that, that he, in, in uh, that sample prayer. What a powerful thing that I just missed. 
just went right over the top of it. And, and that was my seven Bible things that I passed out because what I wanted to do was help people, because uh, I didn't give them all the information. I just gave them a scripture, didn't I? And so I just the scripture. So if you wanted to dig deeper, you could dig deeper. You could go in deep, and that's what it's all about. That's what we're here for, um, to learn about God, to learn about his holiness, to learn that he's a spirit, and how to understand, how to pray to him in the spirit, how to understand that, how to relate to God in, in those ways. In Romans, the eighth chapter, we, we see Paul trying to help us to understand spirit and flesh, and and the difference between them. And this gives us just another way of helping us through God's Holy Spirit to understand what God is, is teaching us. And so Romans 8, just beginning in verse 5, and just a few verses, I'm not going to read all of it, but this is a very powerful chapter for anyone, especially those who are just beginning to, to, to learn about God and learning about uh, His plan and everything. Because this really does explain uh, about flesh and, and spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. Um, fleshly minded, normal, natural mind, whatever you want to call carnal, um, that's what it is. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The carnal mind is enmity, hostile against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then that they are in the flesh cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the, of the body, you shall live. And there's, there's a lot of meat. There's a lot of understanding there. There's a lot of things that, that you can read and think and meditate on to grow in understanding about the flesh versus the spirit and how God works in us once we receive God's Holy Spirit and how he opens our eyes, guides us, leads us, and even leads us to prayer, leads us to understanding how to pray to him. Another thing that we can come to understand God a little bit better is God is jealous. Yes. And it's interesting that God is jealous, isn't it? In Exodus, the 20th chapter, everybody's very familiar with this, but one of the things that comes out very clearly is that God hates idolatry. All the way through the Bible, idolatry is, is uh, condemned. And so from the very beginning... If you're going to worship God, you do not have any idols in your house or anywhere around and do not bow down or worship any. In verse 4 it says, You shall not make to you any graven image or any idol uh, likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath. You shall not bow down yourselves to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Ensuring mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. In Exodus 34. By the way, it's reiterated all the way through the Bible. <clears throat> God is to be worshipped without any um, accoutrements or anything around you. And you don't carve out something and, and bow down to it. 34 verse 14, it says, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Jehovah El. And he's a jealous 
uh, well, L is the, 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 the what, um, and I think that there is a uh, translation of that, and I'm not sure exactly what that is. Um, and so let's go to Deuteronomy 4. I just thought I'd keep you in, so if you want to keep trying, just going straight in. Deuteronomy 4 and verse um, 23, beginning verse 23. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make you a graven image or the likeness of anything that which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. And so we see that that's one of the characteristics of God, that he is jealous. He does not want any, you worshiping anything but him. And so come, coming to understand how, how to worship him is so very important. And understanding the, his, their attri- the God's attributes and, and how to worship Him becomes a part of our Christian life. How do we come to God? How do we come um, to His throne? I know Jesus is there as our high priest and, and our advocate. And so sometimes we have to come and we have to repent because we've sinned. But we also can come, as we heard, with praise and rejoicing and thanksgiving and a lot of those things Sometimes that we forget because we're more concerned about ourselves rather than honoring God with our, with our prayers and our, our presence. And Joshua had the same, um, said the same thing in Joshua, the 24th chapter. He made this point. Joshua 24 and verse 17. For the Lord our God, he, it is that brought us up out of the, our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelled in the land. Therefore we, uh, will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, he has done you good. And we know that. We we saw in the scriptures that Israel turned on God. Once they were in the promised land and they had so many blessings, and those things became uh, began to, to fall apart when when sin got in, and the leadership changed. And when Solomon then took over, and he was great at the beginning, and we you know, he was had beautiful prayers and everything. And then he let his wives <laughs> um, move his his life. And so consequently God ripped that kingdom in half and from then on the northern tribes never had a good king. The southern tribes were off and on with kings. And God finally because of their sins and because of all the things that they did, he finally had to clear the northern tribes out of their homeland. And then he allowed the southern tribes to be invaded also. God, when he, he makes a covenant with us, he expects us to keep that covenant. And that covenant for Christians is that baptism, isn't it? And every year, we also renew that covenant when we come to the Passover service. And we're saying to God, I believe you. I want to continue to keep your way. I want to continue to worship you. I want to continue to know more about you. I want to continue to learn how to be holy like you're holy. I want to learn how to, to worship you in spirit and in truth. That's all what we do. It's what we're here for. It's how we, um, it is part of our life. And so, uh, and God is leading us through the spirit and guiding us. The next point, point number five, 
God is light. In 1 John, the first chapter, 1 John, the first chapter, there we go. In beginning of verse 5, This then is the message which ye have heard of him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I think that's a very interesting uh, statement. I remember as a young kid, and I, maybe some of us were the same way, but the, the night, the darkness used to sometimes frighten me. I, my mom would come in and might have light on, and she'd turn it off, and I'd wake right up and want that light back on you. I was a kid. I finally got over that, and I liked to have the lights off, but when I was a, a child, I, I knew that I was afraid of the dark. I, some of the things, of course, if you keep Halloween, sometimes you're just scared of everything because, man, this is all out there. Um, but I was always afraid of the dark. And then when God began to, to enter in, in, and, and change my life, that light that he shined, the, the truth of his word in my life, was so revealing, so interesting, so so profound. It was such a change from the way I was living. I gave up a lot of things, and I've never regretted it. I, have, I had friends that I had in, in high school, and none of them believed anything <laughs> that, I, that I was coming into. I, I tried. I, I tried to, to get them to understand. Eh, I don't have anything to do with you. I don't, they, they thought I was crazy. <laughs> for, for believing that way. Uh, especially since I had gone along with a lot of the things that they were doing and had been kind of rebellious, uh, rebellious teen. And they'd seen that and they knew that. And they could not understand someone that would be changing their life. But that's what the Bible is all about. They're going from darkness, which is the world that we live in, into the glorious light of God. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and the truth uh, uh, do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sins. So when God opened my mind, and I'm assuming the minds of everyone here in this room, and maybe... Um, and if he hasn't opened your mind, he will, uh, if you allow it, to see these things. Uh, it was a very wonderful and, and, and joyous time to realize that God was working with me and, and working in me and changing my life, even though I went through a lot of trials and a lot of tribulations, which most of us have probably gone through when we when we come to God, when we come to Christ. Let me read that again. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sins. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And I, see, and I might read verse 1 of chapter 2 because it's very important. And in fact, it looks like it really should have been put together. He says, My little children, these things write I to you that you sin not. But if you sin, if, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And that's true. We can go to the Father through Jesus Christ. And he is, our, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. In, in, in of course, John, the first chapter, you remember the old joke about the preacher that got up there and kept looking at his watch and somebody finally asked him what's that all about and he says I don't know and I just keeps right on preaching you know and he says uh, 
And then, um, so I don't know what time I started, so I just, <laughs> I'm not sure about this clock here. The John, the, the, the John, the first chapter, and we're very familiar with this, and I'm going to skip down to verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And that was the true light, which lights every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them, he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Do you believe those words? I hope you do. I hope you believe what it said there. But as many as received him, because if you've been baptized and you've come to God uh, and, and received and have the laying on of hands, then you are his. He had power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which was born not of the blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but, by, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as only of the begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And John 3, pick it back up where I, uh, I left off in verse 19. John 3 and verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that does truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they, uh, that they are wrought in God. So, we want to come to the light. Now, sometimes if we ignore God, it might be because we've got problems in our life. But we need to come to the light so it shines on us so we can see ourselves and understand uh, where our relationship should be to the Father and to the Son. Come to the light. Let that light shine in your life. Let it open your, your mind to your, to your own self. In Exodus, um, I'm going to refer back to this one. Unless, number six is God is not the God of the dead. I'm going to read uh, Matthew's statement. In Matthew, the 22nd chapter, and beginning in verse 15. And of course, he was always battling with the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and and they were always doing one thing or another. And then when the Pharisees and, uh, took counsel how they might in, entangle him in his talk, they sent out to him their disciples with the uh, Herodians, saying, Master, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Neither care you for any man, for you regard not uh, the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what think you? Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt you me, you hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought him the penny. And he said to them, Whose image is on, uh, who's this image and superscription? And they said to him, Caesar. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said that if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed to his brother. Now there were, uh, were with us seven brethren. The first, when he had married the wife deceased, having no issue, left his wife to his brother. Likewise the second also, and the third to the seventh. And the last of all, the women, the, the woman died also. Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? Uh, for they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, You do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. 
What a powerful statement after these guys stood this. You do err. You're wrong. And they have, don't understand, you don't understand the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they shall neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which is spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. Uh, and so, Jesus, uh, and I might go ahead and read the rest of this, because he goes ahead and, and gives the two great commandments. Verse 34, when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like into it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And of course, the Bible is full of those Sadducees and Pharisees coming in and challenging him uh, in various ways. And he was always able to, um, to give an answer. And I think if, we, if the day comes that we have to give an answer for the hope that is in us, God will provide it. God will provide it. In Revelation 1.18, you can go back and read the, those accounts of Moses and, and Exodus 3 and Exodus 4, if you want. Revelation 1.18, and it says, I am he that lives and was dead. Um, I'm going to pick it up in verse 16 because this is a, you know, Jesus standing there and he said, uh, John is in, in the spirit there in the, of the day of the Lord. And he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was the sun that shines in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead and he laid his right hand upon me saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. I am he that lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Write these things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. And so, Jesus, in that time, has the keys to the grave and to death and the resurrection in that time. A trumpet call, all the things that will be going on in that last time. The last point, point seven, 1 John 4 and verse 7. And I will finish up with 1 John 4 and verse 7 to 16. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. So one of the attributes of God is love. God would have never created us gone through all the things that he's gone through, seen all the sins and things that he's gone through, if he did not have a plan and he did not love his creation. God truly loves his creation. He loves us. He, he very much loves us. In this was manifest the love of God towards us because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. That is an attribute that we can have, the love of God. He's dwelling in us, and we can have that attribute. 
Hereby know we that we dwell that that we dwell in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And if we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. And he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. This is the powerful attribute that God even gives us, the the capability of being able to love one another, the capability of being able to love our children, uh, of, of being able to have a kind of godly attribute. Because we can love, and we can love one another. We can sacrifice for one another. We can do things for one another. Herein is our love made manifest that we have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For if he love for he that loves not his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we, uh, have we from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. And Jesus compliments, first of all, said this in, in John, the third chapter. You're all so familiar. I probably should have just quoted it, but I'm going to read it. Beginning verse 13. And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that has came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that so whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life.